When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody. It's your producer, Chris Fafalius here. Every once in a while, we like to give everyone a little sneak peek of our After Party podcast, which is a weekly show that we do for members of our supporting cast. For a few bucks a month, you can get episodes like the one I'm about to share every week. It helps us continue creating Chris to Makes a Podcast and bringing you the best show possible. So if this sounds like something you'd be interested in, you can head over to chrisdemakes.com to check it out. That's chrisdemakes.com. Okay, this episode that we're sharing today is from back in November of 2021, and it's all about the 25th anniversary of the album Losing Streak from Less Than Jake. I would assume that at least some listeners of Chris to Makes a Podcast celebrated that album milestone. And for anyone who happens to not know this, Chris Makes, the host of Chris Makes a Podcast, is in the band Less Than Jake. Okay. So I hope you all enjoy the sneak preview episode. Remember to check out ChrisDemakes.com. If you join our supporting cast, you'll instantly get access to a huge back catalog of episodes of The After Party, and they are good, I promise. And they're ad-free. All right, here we go. Welcome to The After Party, ready, set, let's go. Welcome to The After Party, the show after the show. Learn a little something new. Hey man, congratulations. Today is November 12th, 2021. And as of today, right now, Chris, Less Than Jake Losing Streak is a classic album. It is 25 years old today. How does it feel? <laughs> so so we're going to be sandwiched between the Eagles and Grand Funk Railroad today on, on the radio, huh? Yep, for sure. But uh, yeah, man, 25 years. That's what I've always believed is when something becomes classic Never again will this day happen, man. I think sometimes you got to take a step back and smell the roses and realize that it's an important day. I mean, we're always focused on the future or what's going on today, but sometimes you got to take a look back, man. Do you remember November 12th of 1996? Do you remember the release day of Losing Streak? Kind of, sort of, and I'll tell you that in a second. First off, um, thank you for the kind words. Uh, all jokes aside, um, it, it's crazy to think 25 years has has passed since the release of this. Wow. Um, <laughs> I remember being a kid. My oldest cousin is 10 years older than me, and I remember him turning 25 when I was 15. I was thinking, like, I'm not going to live to 25. And I was never, like, this morbid kid, but it just seemed like just, you know, he's old. I'm never going to be old. So 25 is amazing. I, I do remember the time period very vividly November 1st 1996 less than Jake played the Bo Diddley Plaza uh, in downtown Gainesville it was the release party for losing streak I think like 3,000 it was a free show like 3,000 people showed up it was in it was a party it was insane suicide machines played with us that night they came down to play I think we had a couple opening bands Capitol Records was gracious enough to ship us advanced copies of the album that we had on sale for the fans there. They could get it 12 days ahead, almost two weeks ahead of the release date on the 12th. 
I want to say that uh, we were on, I know we were on tour somewhere. I, I don't recall where I could probably with a quick Google search, find out, but I don't remember exactly where I was release day, but I do remember it may have been actually on the release day. I do remember walking in, in stores and malls and just being blown away that there was end caps in the front of the store with losing streak and they had cardboard cutouts of the losing streak monster in there. It was a really special time. Yeah, that's really cool. Do you remember it all playing the album or seeing in real time people's reactions to it? Because I've heard you reference this before, Chris, that this this album still sounds kind of raw to you. It wasn't as produced as some later Less Than Jake albums. But when you listen to this compared to Pezcore, it is such a step up. I mean, this album still sounds amazing to me and and I love it, but I get what you're saying as far as it sounding really raw and live still. Well, you know, we had probably done on that Pezcore tour probably 200 live dates. So we had played so many shows. Roger was really coming into his own on Losing Streak. You know, Pezcore, most of that record was written uh, a lot of it was written before Roger even joined the band or songs that Vinny and I had kicking around. So he was really, really able to to put his best foot forward on on Losing Streak, starting to, to really write songs. You know, uh, he came up with, I definitely know the chorus of Automatic. I can't remember if I came up with the verse chords or not, or the melodies, but he was starting to be a pr- prolific writer in this band. And uh, the, the time that we were doing this, it was so breakneck speed. Everything was happening so fast. You know, we got off the Pezcore tour and just immediately went in the studio and started recording this record and looking back you know i'm proud of the way that it sounds i would never change anything but i think what you're speaking of wasn't so much that yeah we had a hundred thousand dollar budget we were in a real studio it was more of we just became a better band from pezcore till 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 losing streak this record was still done to two inch tape it wasn't done to a click track it was just us counting off four a lot of it was cut live right off the floor in the studio so uh, it it kind of sounded like what we sounded like then. Yeah. And man, you know, you, you said like coming into your own Pezcore, it's, it's nothing, nothing against Pezcore, but like the songs, man, the recording aside, whatever the songs on this album were so awesome. The melodies and the subject matter, the lyrics and everything, dude, I wanted to ask you, like you really I want to say name drop. These might be fictional characters, but there's so many references to like, for example, who's Frank? Who's just like <laughs> Frank? <laughs> uh, that That's actually two Franks. It was, uh, hi Dave Frank, if you're listening. Hi Frank Barber, if you're listening. These were two punk rockers in Gainesville that were just, you know, we, we were getting signed. We were sellouts. We weren't part of their scene. Uh, they were no- notorious shit talkers. Uh, and we wrote a song. It was just, you know, kind of poking back at them. I don't even know if they ever really knew that, but it was it was two different guys. They were they were just kind of too cool for school, too cool for less than Jake, and we wrote a song about it. Wow, that's crazy. I might be getting sued uh, <laughs> for libel. <laughs> I actually said their, their real last names. <laughs> <laughs> Who was the Jen that didn't like you? That was hi Jen Sunderland. Jen, uh, I haven't I haven't seen Jen since then, but I ran into her little brother probably about 15 years ago or so. He showed up at a show. He's like. I'm, I'm Jen Sunderland's brother. And, and Jen was this ska girl that was, um, she had a old four-door Plymouth. Like, I think it was like a Plymouth Skylark or something. And she had checkerboards around it. I ran into her. She was all dolled up going into, I was going into the hardback one night in Gainesville. And I saw this car and her get out of it. And we just started talking and we became fast friends and everything was platonic between us. We weren't, uh, 
dating or anything like that, but we'd go to ska shows together. We were, you know, hang out, drink beers, and, and uh, just she loves ska music. And we had a bass player before Roger. He had left the band, uh, was kicked out, whatever you want to say, and she was friends with him too, and she kind of took took his side on the matter. And, you know, I was 19 years old, so what do you do? You, you write a song about it. She doesn't like me anymore. Yeah. <laughs> It's funny the things you, you write about, and maybe sometimes you look back and you like cringe a little bit about things like that because you're you're young, you know. But uh, but I'm glad to hear that's cool. I mean, people could go back and listen. We did an episode about Johnny Quest. Thanks for sellouts. You can go back in the Krista Makes a Podcast to last year and take a listen to that. So we don't need to get into that story as much. Same kind of thing as we did. We recently talked about Ninth at Pine that you guys actually. Was that in Portland that you saw yeah, that a fight? Por- that, yeah, that was at uh, La Luna in Portland, which is now a now defunct uh, venue. Uh, that was at Ninth uh, Street and Pine Avenue, or Pine Street and Ninth Avenue, or something. It's Ninth and Pine. Yeah. Who's Doug Hastings? Doug was a guy from Venice, Florida. I never met Doug. Doug was a friend of Vinny's, and I don't know exactly what happened with them. They had a falling out, or just you know, Vinny had lived in Venice, Florida, from the time he was like sixteen. 17 maybe like a year that's when he first moved down from jersey and then they relocated to uh, port charlotte and that's that's where i met him so don't know exactly what about is there an actual happy man who was the happy man was that referencing yourselves or or what no you know i man that, that's a hard one to talk about because i i'm 99.9 percent sure i know who it is but i'm just gonna go ahead and say i i'm i, I think happy man was Vinny's dad um and that's all I'll say about it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And why were you never going back to New Jersey? I think that was was Vinny kind of saying that, you know, that was a it was a time of his life that, that he he wanted to slam the door on, you know? And it's funny, we would we would of course play New Jersey, one of our biggest markets ever to this day in the United States, and people would joke about it, well you're back, you know, you thought you were right. never coming back. And it was kind of this this running joke, but I think that was him kind of getting over some issues and, and things that he was coming to grips and terms with. And I think that he kind of slammed the door on that. And, and, and that was that. And he wrote a song about it. I'm not going to keep going in on, on all these songs like that, but I got to tell you, and I just talked about this. I dropped a little bonus episode in our thing about the year 1996. So my memory of this was seeing the automatic video on 120 minutes. I had heard dope man on a local college radio station. And that's what got me first interested in your band and I got your CD but then seeing you guys on 120 minutes I was like whoa and that video just seeing it was like basically like live footage of you guys playing do you know where that video was filmed like what show that was at so yeah absolutely the video was shot there was uh, footage from that Gainesville show the live show from the Bodily Plaza and JBTV out of Chicago who's been around forever they're a local cable access show music music show they've we've done interviews with them to this day we still talk to JBTV. they filmed a live show of ours at the metro in chicago and there's actually a scene in the automatic video where we used to train spank where we'd stand up as a band and, and the fans would walk through our legs and we'd paddle their asses as they went through which is absolutely ridiculous and horrifying at the same time to think of today <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but, I don't think there but, was anything. Uh, there, there was nothing. That was just all in good fun. It wasn't anything. Yeah, but now, yeah, I don't think yeah, that would no, fly no, now. <laughs> none of us had a spanking fetish, but you know, there, there's 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 something to be said about a 22 year old spanking a 17 year old. That's a, you can digest that, but at my age now, it might be a little harder. But yeah, so those both of those uh, shows, the live footage was put into the automatic video, 
It was all live, which was funny to us, too, because, you know, this was edited by somebody for probably a couple hundred dollars, and the thing made it on MTV. Bands were doing hundred, two, three dollars $300,000 budget videos. Here we threw together some live footage, and that was the first uh, introduction to the band that people got. Right, and me, as a punk rock teenager, seeing that music video, that was the greatest. Yeah, you're talking about all these music videos. That was so great. I couldn't wait to go see you guys live. I was so excited. And it may have been that race around Uranus. It had to have been. That had to have been the first time I saw you guys. And I was so excited because I saw right there in the music video, I saw how fun your shows were. You know? Well, I think, I think, and I, if I remember correctly, I think that was Craig Aronson's whole thing. He was like, yeah, let's not try to make some video where you guys are, which we ended up doing with Dope Man, like we were in the skating rink. And, you know, I think he was like, you know, your live show is what you've built this band on. Let's show the craziness and show that side of you. That's your bread and butter. And and I think he was right. Yeah, you didn't need to overthink it. You just needed to yeah. show people what you were actually doing. And I, I can speak from personal experience. It worked. And I remember that debuting. I think 120 Minutes used to come on. Was it Sunday nights? Yep, Sunday nights at midnight. It was midnight, and I had gotten home. I was working at Gumby's Pizza. I probably got home that night at 11.30, right around midnight. And I remember Vinny and and his ex-girlfriend at the time uh, sitting in front of the TV. I think Roger was there. And we just were all like kids in a candy store. I mean, here we had been watching MTV at that point for about 15 years of our lives. And we were going to be on it. Yeah. And you're just on pins and needles. And it's like, there's Nine Inch Nails. Their video gets played. And then there's like, you know, Nirvana or whoever's next. And then, you know, the Pixies. And then, boom, finally we came on. It was like, holy crap. It was the cool. It was the coolest thing ever, man. It was something that I'll never, I'll never forget seeing that. And we got played after that a couple times on MTV. And it, and it never had the impact of that first time. Yeah, that was something every week. I I didn't stay up till midnight on Sunday nights and then go to school, but I taped it every week. And I probably somewhere still have those tapes of taping 120 minutes. And it was always really exciting to see like a punk rock band. I remember that's where the first time I ever saw Rancid was on there. I remember seeing the Get Up Kids on there. I remember seeing oh, like yeah. like the first time you see a band where it's like, oh, they're from. I don't know. I call it my world. They're from my world of like what I listened to. And now they're on MTV. It was, it was exciting, you know, for sure. Yeah. And it, it was exciting to us. It was, yeah. it was something that we never would have, would have thought was going to happen. But that whole time period, like I had mentioned before, it was just happening, happening so fast. I remember when we were recording losing streak out in California, uh, that the singer from wasp, I ended up talking to him while I was out there uh, to make a long story short, their publicist was in the building. I had gotten to talking to her one day, realized that's who it was. And I said, man, if I could ever talk to, to Blackie, it'd be, it'd be a dream come true. Their singer Blackie Lawless. And he called when we were mixing Losing Streak in uh, uh, Capitol Studios Room B out there. And I'll never forget him saying, he said, you know, never forget the recording of your first record, you know, and we had made Pezcore, but that was really, those were just like demos yeah. that we compiled into an album. But I'll never forget him saying that. He says, you'll never be able to recreate the first experience. And man, I soaked it in. We were out there. We, me, Roger and buddy were out there mixing the record and we had a ball and I'll, I'll never forget it. 
on the actual release day, did you guys play a show? Were you on tour? Were you at home? Well, like I said, yeah, I know that we were on the road, but I, I again, I could probably probably Google it and, and find out. I know there's a Less Than Jake concert history out there. I, I don't remember where we were at, but I do remember that time period, as I said, where I would walk into malls and they have these things called end caps. And record labels paid a lot of money to get you featured. And what an end cap was, uh, basically, you would you would walk into the store and it'd be like it would hit you in the face. It would just be this cardboard cutout of a losing streak monster with a hundred less than Jake losing streak CDs right there, you know. And it was basically you know letting people know this is our featured artist for this 15 minutes of fame or whatever or 15 yeah. minutes of time you know buy this type thing and that was the other cool thing about capital is they really knew that we came from a grassroots situation and that record was on sale for 7.99 in the major outlets then i remember and that we re- we really pushed for that we wanted to get our music out there it, it still wasn't about making money uh, to us. It, it was always about who can we turn on to this band? That was our whole thing is the more people that know the songs are going to want to come see the band live. And that's what we, that's what we lived for was playing live still do. Hey everybody. We'll be right back after a few words from our sponsors. Hello everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street. I mean, that was an exciting time as far as, and I'm sure you saw this, and this had to be so exciting. Any mall you went into had like at least two record stores, National Record Mart, Camelot, Waves, all these places. Your CDs were in all of them and probably multiple copies in all of them. They were, you know, and then we were also going to, to places like, you know, Mad Platter Records in Riverside, California, and all these different indie stores and we were doing in stores. So we were going in there and playing reckless records in Chicago was another one. I remember, I remember doing in stores for the chain, such as tower records too, but we were going to the mom and pop alternative record stores. We were going to the chain stores and we were, you know, going in there and doing in store signings. And uh, I remember some of those back then it was just, you know, the record stores would market the living hell out of it because they wanted people to to come to their store and buy not just our record, but, you know, posters and 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 black lights and lava lamps or whatever else they were selling, you know. So there'd be lines snaked around the corner and we're just sitting there going, what is what's going on? And people wanting our autographs. It's like, who the hell would you ever think would want my autograph? You know, it's crazy to think how much the record stores themselves. I mean, even the chain record stores were a big part of the promotion of the album. I know from experience that I would walk into the record store and if I saw 
this less than Jake and the cover art stood out to me and it was $7.99. I might just buy it. I might just, you know, I can think of so many times. It was like either whatever record label it was on or the, the cover artwork or just hearing about them through the grapevine and the price was right. And I would buy it. And at that time, if you spent the, well, in your case, $7.99, that's a good deal. But even if you spent the $12.99, $13.99 on the CD, you're going to actually listen to it and try to like it. You spent money on it. It wasn't just streaming where it's like, oh, I don't like this five seconds in and you move on to the next thing. Yeah, you, you spent time with an album. Yeah, I think we've touched on that or I've touched on that either on the After Parties or the main podcast where I, I've said exactly what you just said. It's like, you know, I used to save up all week mowing lawns and I'd, I'd go buy that cassette or that CD and a lot of times on first listen, I was underwhelmed, but damn it, I just shelled out $14. Exactly. And $14 was hard to come by when you're 15 years old. And I'm going to force myself to like this. And you know what? Some records aren't immediate. You have to you have to listen to them for it to hit you. And I feel like that's kind of lost today. You know, not, not to sound like, uh, you know, grandpa here that, that uh, walked uphill both ways to school, but there's some truth behind that. You know, it kind of forced you to to listen to music a little harder versus now it's like 30 seconds in. I don't like this next stream. Absolutely, man. And, you know, I can speak to this and I'm sure a lot of people that are listening can. And I mentioned this when I did that 90, 1996 little bonus episode, but I knew every word to this album. And I wonder if it came out right now and I was 16 years old. I might know the words to the singles, but it was, I spent so much time with it. I didn't have as much stuff coming at all angles and I spent time with the album and yeah, you could dig into an album, dude. I got to tell you a funny story. I know you just did a, a thing with him, but my friend, Matt Kelly, who's a producer of one hit thunder. I don't know if I ever told you this, but he would buy, buy CDs or acquire CDs. Someone give it to him and he would make mixtapes or mix CDs of his least favorite song on a bunch of albums and listen to them and try to make himself like them. That's how crazy he was. But uh, <laughs> I'm sure he wasn't alone in in that. Like you really, you really spent the time and dug in. And if someone made an album as a piece of art, as an entire work in itself, yeah, people might give that. It wasn't as singles driven as it is now. People would spend time listening to a whole album. Yeah, and I think that's why we have the fans that we still do today, that we're still around after almost 30 years, is because we were never a singles band. We never had that one song that shot through the stratosphere. You know, it was kind of, we were an, an album band. We weren't a singles band. If you, if you liked the band, you liked the band. You know, people, uh, Losing Streak's an interesting record. So is Hella Rock You. People, it's all over the place when you ask people what their favorite song is. All the tracks get picked. Yeah. You know, even the songs that I feel are kind of B-sides, there's people that think that's the best song on the record. And, and that's a good problem to have. I look at this track listing, 16 songs, and to what you're saying, Chris, is exactly true. I could see why any of these songs could be someone's favorite song in this album. I remember, like I said, Dope Man was the first song I ever heard. I think Ninth at Pine became my favorite song in this album at the time. Now, when I look back, it's automatic. You know, Punchline did a cover of automatic. That's maybe yeah. it's because that's the first track. That was the song that I saw the video for on 120 minutes, but I could see someone grasping onto the lyrics of something like, you know, like something's out there and it takes me away. 
Uh, I could see someone relating to a lyric like that, or, you know, Jen doesn't like me anymore. Someone was in a situation like that and it just speaks to them. There's not a song on this album where I'd be like, no, that wouldn't be someone's favorite song. Yeah. You know, and, and Ninth at Pine was one of those ones. That was a Rogers song again to where he was kind of coming in as a, as a, in the forefront as a writer in this band, he brought that tune in. That was, that was all Raj. And it's funny because people, they, they assume whoever sings the song wrote the song, you know, and I certainly, I certainly put my stamp on the song. I sang it and and I probably tweaked some parts in it. I don't, don't recall specifically, but, but that was a Raj song. And I remember just hearing that hook of that chorus. I'm like, it was just, it was awesome. You know, it, it was great, but yeah, that's that's the one thing. Uh, speaking of automatic, you know, this past uh, tour we just got off with Newfound Glory. That's the song we were opening with every night. And as soon as I hit those opening chords, you would just see the the place, the people that knew us. That just they, the room would light up. You guys were really good at choosing the track placement on this album. And I don't know, like automatic definitely seems like it should be the first song on this album. Even if you gave me all these songs, mixed them up and I didn't have this preconceived notion, it seems to make sense to me that that would be the first song. Yeah, I, I'll i toot my horn here. I was the one that did all the track listings. I was always the guy. The other, the, the other guys in the band would would would, uh, would chime in, but I came up with the track listing for Losing Streak. Mike Park actually came up with the track listing for Pezcore. He did that record. We didn't have anything. That was kind of like, we didn't even, I don't even think we knew there was a track listing for a record. That was our first one. But I did Losing Streak. I did Rockview. Um, the only songs on Rockview... That uh, and it's funny because I think the Japanese release had to go to print. Five State Drive and theme song for H Street are flip flopped on the Japanese Hello Rockview release. That's because that was the original track listing. Someone in Capital uh, EMI America said no, it should be flipped uh, the other way. So Five State Drive's at the top of the record and theme songs later. And I think that's the right call. I made. I, I was wrong. <laughs> well, Chris, let me ask you. At this time, since you were the one deciding the order of the track listing here did you have that concept in your head of like oh tracks three and four are the singles did you think ninth at pine and sugar in your gas tank were the the singles or did you not have no real concept of that yet? oh no there was there was no concept of singles for me it was always when the song ends what key is it in ah. Ooh, it the song starts in d but it ends in e automatic which the first chord and Happy Man is B, ah. which is the upstairs neighbor uh, of E. <laughs> that might not make sense to people, but but I would think in terms of that, how how the record would flow. And then I would look at things like, ooh, these three songs in a row, ooh, they're all in the key of A. That okay, we got to change that. I can't have three songs in the, in the key of A. It's got it's got to change for for the listener and for the ear. So there, there there was a lot of things taken into consideration. Even song titles, like if there was. Three songs that had, you know, the first letter was S in the song. Like, ooh, that looks weird. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So you did a lot of things that maybe made people like me who listened to this album. Like, I'm, I'm not kidding, man. I put this album on and listened to the whole thing all the way through. I wasn't just like, be like, oh, I want to listen to that song again. This was, this was an album. Like, you listened to this all the way through. I know that me and my friends, I remember you know, driving around to go to a high school basketball game or whatever. And it was this CD was playing from front to back and it wasn't just listening to one song over and over. And yeah, and maybe you did a good job of that, of making it, making you want to listen to the whole thing as an entire work. Well, and also I think that that kind of goes with when you'd go to the, the bargain bin used cutout CD section of record stores, you know, and you'd see this, this mountain 
of records from these bands that had one single and the rest of the CD was crap. Yeah. There was never many used, at least back in the day, Losing Streak and Rockview in stores. People weren't taking them back, which told you that they were a fan of the band. They liked all the songs. They weren't just there because they saw Automatic on MTV and got the... I mean, if you liked Automatic, the rest of the record was in the cut from the same cloth. It wasn't like you weren't you weren't going to like the rest of the record. You know, a lot of times back then, it was the single that was this outstanding, crazy track. They got the, the, the million-dollar producer to do the single, and the rest of the album, they cut at some demo studio, and it doesn't sound like that track. It's not indicative of what that track was and and that wasn't us it was just here we were it's it, it, we that that that's what it was i mean that's why you guys are one of the bands that were the blueprint for so many bands like my own and that you paid your dues and all of these songs there there weren't i i don't consider maybe maybe chris you would say like oh that was just the a filler throwaway song, but I don't feel that way about any of these. I feel like there's real heart behind all of these songs, whether they're more fun sounding or a more serious sounding song. They all feel like there was a reason why it was on here. And yeah, in comparison to some of those bands that came out of nowhere, it's like, who is this band? Uh, I won't say any band names. I know my friends know which bands uh, I might be talking about here, but like who had this one single that came out of nowhere and they disappeared just as quickly. You guys had been out on the road. You were paying your dues and you know, it came through in the album. I think that's why for me, this album stands the test of time. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. It's uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of glad we, we did this episode cause I don't, it's hard to sometimes think in in terms of anniversaries or pat yourself on the back and and uh, it's cool that you you acknowledged it and it, they're just great memories. I love talking about it. Yeah, I'll pat you on the back and can I put you on the spot? Uh, it depends. <laughs> I see there's a, a very pretty acoustic guitar behind you as we're recording this right now. Will you play a losing streak song on acoustic? I I can do that. I can't promise it's going to be good or sound great, but we're going to we're going to wing this right now. This is no overdubs, nothing because it doesn't doesn't need to be. Let me think here. Um Which one are you going to do? Um you know, a lot of songs on this record are, are tough because the horns are so predominant in our band, especially on this record. There was a lot of horn parts on this record, but one that that's kind of doable is How's My Driving Doug Hayes. Nice. So I'm going to take a I'm going to take a stab at this one, and uh, this is one take. Uh, my voice is not warmed up. Um, <laughs> I'll stop making excuses. I might even mess up the lyrics. We haven't played this one in a while, but uh, I'm going to try my best. Here we go. Right, funny neck, I'm coke with a crumb. I left a two in the back of Doug's car without a plan. And feeling fucked up, look, give a summon something, yeah, for ourselves. Friday night at three at a side door. Doug's trying to get the door once more. I said, man. This is all fucked up, looking for something, something out for ourselves Feeling kinda weird, yeah, and I'm thinking to myself Feeling kinda weird, thinking to myself Fucked up, I'm not going out like this I said, man, I'm all I got, won't be missed And this makes, this makes no sense to me Ain't the way, way it's supposed to be Myself, feeling kind of weird, thinking of myself. Fucked up, I'm not going out like this. I said, man, I'm all I got. Won't be missed. Damn, this makes this makes no sense to me. It is the way, 
way it's supposed to be That was awesome. I got to tell you, that song, I think that's the first song I, I ever heard a Coke reference in, <laughs> which I think is, is pretty awesome. Um, also, Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola. Oh, okay, sure. Um, and uh, also, dude, sometimes, you know, for me personally, I'm sitting here watching you do that. And you're my friend. We make this podcast, whatever. And then you start playing that. And I'm like, oh, wait a second. This dude is in one of my favorite bands of all time, and he's just playing this song here. I just had a one – I mean, everyone's going to hear this eventually. I just had a one-man uh, personal concert <laughs> <laughs> from uh, from a dude one of my favorite bands ever. This is That was pretty awesome, man. I'm glad I can share it with everybody who's listening. But when we just recorded this, that's wild. That was like uh, – I don't know. I don't even know how to explain it. It was a very surreal moment. So thanks for doing that, man. Two universes colliding. Thank you, Chris. And and, and thanks to to all the fans out there that have uh, supported this record in particular and the band in general. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll see you next week for another exciting after party. All right. I hope you all enjoyed that sneak peek of the after party. There are tons of episodes for you to listen to when you join our supporting cast at ChrisToMakes.com. And a new one is added each week. So go get them and help us keep making the pod that you love at the same time. Thanks, everybody. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal, the man, to Fat Mike from No Effects, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. Well, hey, friends. My name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalist. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Again.